Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhi nastafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rasuli wa Khatami al-Anbiya wa ala alihi al-Azkiya wa ashabihi al-Atqiya amma ba'd. In this text, our Rasul al-Mu'allim, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullah ta'ala has a section dedicated to a discussion from Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala on what made Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this phenomenal, amazing educator. So at the beginning of it, he said that there are four things that we need to study in a person to see their completion. How excellent they are. That person's excellence in their features, in their character, in their statements, and in their actions. In our previous class, we talked about the features of Rasulullah. What was it about the, the presence of Rasulullah that made him? unique as an educator and teacher. Today we enter into the second part. So there are six things that made the character of Rasulullah unique as a mentor and as an educator. One of the reasons why most people don't last long in this field of education and in mentorship is because it's exhausting and tiring. So much hard work goes into it. Ask a parent that after years and years of hard work, you begin to ask yourself that I'm, do I even have the energy to continue this? I'm ready to tap out. So looking at the character of Rasulullah and these very unique six aspects give us an insight to where the fuel came from for Rasulullah to deal with the diverse human body that he interacted with. Everyone from all walks of life. When you deal with people from your community, people from your family, people from your school of thought, it's still somewhat easy because there are some ground rules that you can work off of. 
But when you're dealing with humanity at large, that gets difficult. And the only way that you can pull through is if genuinely your core is sound, your heart is pure, that you are sincere as a person. Otherwise, you will get burned out before you even know it. So here he lays out six traits of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Al-khaslatul ula, the first. Rajahatu aqlihi wa sihhatu wahmihi wa sidqu firasatihi. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was very intelligent. Rajahatu aqlihi wa sihhatu wahmihi. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam would plan something or if he would calculate an outcome, his assumption would generally be right. He had farsightedness. Same thing here. When Rasulullah would look at something down the line, what will the outcome of this be? If we do this today, what will happen tomorrow and what will happen the day after? Nabi would be correct. Because a mentor, an educator, a parent, doesn't just plan for today, they plan for what's going to happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So you may choose to concede in a battle knowing that the war is yours, that I'm going to have the outcome here. So it's about give and take. It's about patience today while hoping that something greater will manifest in the future. Rajahatu aqlihi wa wahmihi. That when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would give thought to something. Waham is that which comes to the heart when you ponder over something. That should I do this or not? Some people just have good intuition. They have a good idea that this will work or this won't work. They can tell you right from the get-go, this is a bad idea, you need to know this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires those hearts. So, sihhatu wahmihi. Sihhatu ma yaqa'u fi dhahnihi min al-khawatir. Taqulu fi al-lughati al-arab. وَهَمْتُ أَهِمُ وَهْمًا عَلَىٰ وَزَنِي وَعَدًا يَعِدُ وَعْدًا إِذَا وَقَعَ الشَّيْءٍ فِي خَاطِرِكَ When something occurs in the heart, you call that a waham. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's awham were correct. وَصِدْقُ فِرَاسَتِهِ And likewise, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had farsightedness. وَقَدْ دَلَّ عَلَىٰ وُفُورِ ذَلِكَ فِيهِ صِحَّةُ رَأْيِهِ وَصَوَابُ تَدْبِيرِهِ وَحُسْنُ تَأَلُّفِهِ and how we know that Rasulullah was intelligent and was far-sighted and the thoughts that occurred to his heart while making decisions were accurate is that nothing passed him and he was not fooled in any situation. It wasn't as if Rasulullah made a decision today and was like, oops, that was supposed to actually go in the fridge. That's not supposed to be room temperature. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would make a decision, what would happen is things would pan out accordingly. And sometimes things don't work out. It's not like life is linear. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did go to Ta'if. But it wasn't that fact that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam miscalculated things there. Rather, it was Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala teaching the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a lesson. So if you go back to the story of Ta'if and think of what Rasulullah was trying to accomplish, what Nabi saw in those people, 
the potential in those individuals, he was right along the way. However, the one thing for a person to accept the truth is tawadu and humbleness, and that lacked on their part. As for everything else that was needed for this to be a, a, a big da'wah trip, it was all correct. And that's what made Medina Munawwara amazing, that when Rasulullah arrived there, the people of Medina Munawwara were humble. So you can offer the best drink in the world, but if the receiver has their cup upside down, it's not your fault. You can't blame the person for that. That's their fault for holding the cup the wrong way. If they hold it the right way, they can then enjoy what's being served. So in return, actually what happened is Rasulullah would see the weakness at the beginning. He would see the flaw before starting anything. He would see the traps and dangers at the beginning. So the common situation that we have specifically in the realm of parenting is parents will say, Sheikh, my child is not listening anymore. Or what do I do that so-and-so thing occurred in our life? So people usually come to the Imams when the glass is shattered, rather than taking initiative long before things occur. And this is what we're talking about here, that you look ahead of the game, you look ahead and think, what's going to happen next? It's kind of like a sports. For those of you who enjoy sports, you'll know that you know, the best of the best actually plan the, the goal or the shot before the ball is even dribbled. They've already planned it all out. They have everything in mind that, you know, they've drilled it and they've given it thought because the outcome really matters to them. There's a lot of money on the line here in sports. So the same with parenting and teaching that there needs to be tadbir and planning and you have to have that intelligence so you can see the outcome before it actually manifests. So when you arrive there, you aren't caught off guard. Okay. Al-Khaslatu Thaniya, the second trait. Thabatuhu fi shadaidi wa huwa matlubun wa sabruhu al ba'sa'i wa dharra'i wa huwa makrubun wa mahrubun wa nafsuhu fi ikhtilaf al-ahwali sakinatun la yakhuru fi shadidatin wa la yastakinu li azimatin wa qad laqiya bi makkata min Quraysh so he says, the second trait is, so the first one, what was it again? Intelligence and farsightedness. The second thing, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't waver when things got tough. When the marriage gets tough, people say, I'm out, I'm bailing when the business starts getting a little rough and you know the bills start coming in and now you have to balance your sheets out and make sure that everyone's getting paid and you're still profitable, there are those who crumble and they say, I'm done here, I can't do this anymore. When things get tough, they bail. So, means he seems he's making a reference here that during the hijrah, while the Quraysh were seeking Rasulullah and they were in attempt to take his life, the Prophet still didn't waver. And this was a sign of his sincerity. And one can argue the greatest sign of his nubuwa. The fact that Nabi never wavered because that option wasn't on the table since he was under the command of wahi. 
someone who's not under wahi could make a decision on their own and just decide, okay, we're done here, we're bailing, we're done. But for Rasulullah until a hukum from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't come, he remained firm and stayed on course. Therefore the ulama, one thing they point out, they say the greatest sign of sincerity is istiqamah, steadfastness. It's the greatest sign of it. That when you are told to do something or when you have a game plan in front of you, you stick it out. You keep going, you keep doing it again and again and again. So no matter what the situation was, whether it was at ease or difficult, whether there was war or peace, whatever it was, Nabi Wasallam was composed. He didn't lose it. Think of it this way. Nabi Wasallam was not one who panicked. He wouldn't panic. And for a teacher, for a student, for a child, it's important for them to see that composure in their superior, in their senior. Because if you lose your composure, they will as well. So no matter how thick things got, you guys are all familiar with the situation of the Battle of Hunayn. Because when the Muslims entered into the Battle of Hunayn, they were quite convinced that victory would be theirs with ease. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, that's not what happened. The first part of the battle, the Muslims took, unfortunately, quite a beating. So people began to retreat. So while everyone was panicking and moving backwards, they see at the front, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is charging forward and he's saying, Charging forward with confidence and pride that I'm not one to cower. We're going to push forward. Similarly, the famous riwayah where we studied this in Mishkat, that um, the, the Sahaba one time heard a loud sound outside Medina Munawwara. Maybe something like an earthquake or some thunder or some sort of eruption. So they gathered together to go and examine it. Maybe it took time to get, get people together. As they were going out, they saw Rasulullah returning. Nabi had already gone there and checked everything. And the riwayah actually says that the, the, the horse that he was riding, Rasulullah said, Inna wajadnahu bahra. He said these words that we found this horse like an ocean, meaning it was flowing. This horse was great. He praised the Sahabi for his horse that he had borrowed in one narration and actually says that in that moment, Nabi Wasallam rode that animal without a, uh, without a saddle on it. It was something that had to be done. He needed to go check immediately. Obviously saddling the horse is the correct thing, the more safer thing, that seatbelt scenario. But it, he needed to go right away to see what was that noise. So Nabi Wasallam went on that horse and he checked it. So like this, we have many examples of Rasulullah being patient no matter how difficult things got. Think of the early days of Makkah Mukarramah. When it seemed as if the story of Islam was going to end before it even started. I can't imagine what the Muslims must have been thinking the night after Sumayyah was martyred. That one of ours died for this. Do we really want to do this? Is this going to happen? Is this even worth it? I mean, think of the night for the Sahaba that night. What were they thinking? That this was a big loss. And then not too long later, Yasir is martyred. 
and then Ahmad is continuously tortured. And the Sahaba are, you know, saying to Rasulullah what now, what now, what now? So in all of this, Nabi doesn't waver or change one hukum. Rather, when passing by the family of Yasir as they're being tortured, he said, be patient, your abode will be paradise. Don't shy away from difficulty. That's not what we are, that's not who we are. We remain firm, strong, committed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regardless of what happens. And it was that composure of Rasulullah that gave the Sahaba confidence. This is how they learned to be courageous in the battlefield. This is how they learned to manage Abu Bakr and Umar and an entire ummah because they saw the confidence of Nabi That no matter how many times the Munafiqun backstabbed them in Medina Munawwara, Rasulullah never broke his composure. Always calm, careful, thoughtful. لا يخور في شديدة ولا يستكين لعظيمة وقد لقي وقد لقي بمكة من قريش ما يشيب النواصي ويهض السياسي. Meaning, what Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam encountered from the Quraysh was such that if a cannon of that size was shot at a at a at a at a fort, the fort would come breaking down. They were throwing that at Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's what they were launching at him. Yet firm and strong. Even though. Bear in mind, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was in no position of superiority. It's not like he had some big army behind him. One may say that politically he was in a place of weakness, yet the strongest political players of the time all folded in front of him because of his thabat. So tomorrow you're struggling with something in your own life, your own health. You're struggling with a student. You're struggling with a subject. You're, study, you're struggling with your own child, don't lose your composure. Because when your child sees that you're rattled, they'll lose trust for you. They won't trust you anymore. They need to see strength in you. They need to see quwa in you. Al-Khaslat al the third trait. Zuhduhu fi dunya wa ya'radhu anha. They saw that Rasulullah didn't have some ulterior motive that he was trying to get something out of this. That Rasulullah was doing all this teaching and he was educating these people so one day he could become a king or so he could live in a bungalow or so he could have X, Y, and Z luxury. Now to be clear, being paid for services is not a bad thing in Islam. But bear in mind that when you choose to live a life of simplicity and not bank off of your teaching, the students who see it find a lesson in it. Because when education becomes a pure business, you must understand that those who can't afford this business will fall between the cracks and they will be lost. That's what education, unfortunately, in the very liberal progressive West has become. It's become exactly that, a big business. So those who can't afford it, those who can't afford to pay those taxes they miss out on the opportunity of being educated on par with those who have access to those resources. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's policy was Zuhduhu fi dunya wa ya'radhu anha. That Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would not uh, overly engage with worldly pleasures. Wa qana'atuhu bil balaghi minha. 
So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would be content with whatever little that he did have. فَلَمْ يَمِلْ إِلَىٰ نَظَارَتِهَا وَلَمْ يَلْهُ بِحَلَاوَتِهَا Nabi Sallallahu did not incline towards the beauty of the world, neither was he distracted by its sweetness. وَقَدْ مَلَكَ وَقَدْ مَلَكَ مِنْ أَقْصَ الْحِجَازِ إِلَىٰ عِذَارِ الْعِرَاقِ And along with this, Zuhd of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, like parallel to how, how simple he was, his, his rule went from the corner of the Hijaz all the way to the corner of Iraq. Right, so you're talking about thousands and Allahu Alam, thousands and thousands of square miles that were all under his rule. Even then, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not lose his uh, simplicity. وَمِنْ أَقْصَ الْيَمَنِ إِلَىٰ شَحْرِ الْعُمَّانِ Until the coast. وَهُوَ أَزْهَدُ النَّاسِ فِيمَا يُقْطَنَا وَيُدَّخَّرْ وَأَعْرَضُهُمْ عَمَّا يُسْتَفَادُ وَيَحْتَقَرْ And therefore you see, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed away, he says, لَمْ يُخَلِّفْ دَيْنًا وَلَا عَيْنًا That when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left his dunya, he didn't leave wealth behind. Because that's not what he had gathered while he was alive. وَلَادَيْنًا And neither did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam leave a debt behind. Sometimes a person lives beyond their means. That wasn't the case. Yes, it's true Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam borrowed money from people. This is in itself a manifestation. It's a testimony of his simplicity that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would live uh, and the expenses of his home were of so little that they would need to borrow money sometimes just to provide wheat for the household members. So, but Rasulullah before he passed away, as we learned from the riwayat, that he emphasized to his family members that while he is alive, all debts should be clear. He repeatedly said this to Aisha that clear my debts, clear my debts. I don't want to leave the dunya with any debt. Similarly, Rasulullah had no private river that passed by his home. He could have had that done. Kings and rulers of the world do that for their luxury. Neither did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam build out some big palace that he would live in. You go to the Middle East today and you find people that are struggling to live through a single day. And I mentioned the Middle East example because many of those countries are run by Muslim governments, right? So you would hope that there are some Islamic ethics that pour into the management. But the situation is such that people are struggling to pay their bills while new palaces are being built. There's a new palace. I was once in Jeddah and one of the cab driver pointed out that that palace is on the water. Like, how wasteful are human beings and how lost are we that this deflects now, instead of building palaces on land, we decided to start building them on, on water. That half of this palace is under the water, half of it's above the water, that's what makes it unique. So Nabi did not leave wealth behind for his family so they can continue the same legacy that he had. A legacy of sacrifice and simplicity. Nazar means like something of 
little to no value in Qadr is uh, to be in a very muddy, simple state. So what he's saying here is that, so the reality is that someone who lives their life by this standard of simplicity, until the point that his companions were also inclined to him and this style of life, they understood the value in it. They saw the, what simplicity brought to humanity and what it did for people. A person of this standard should, would never be accused. He would not be accused of being worldly and greedy. Because his actions spoke louder than any accusation could ever be made. And so that someone can claim that he lied in revelation um, just so he can have more dunya. He made things up so he can acquire more wealth. None of these claims would ever stand because his, they say, لسان الحالي أفصح من لسان المقال Simply put, actions speak louder than words. Right? Actions speak louder than words. وَقَدْ صُلِبَ الْآجِلْ بِالْمَيْسُورِ النَّزَرِ بِالْعَيْشِ الْكَدْرِ So that's the third thing. So what was the first one again? Intelligence. Number two? What was the second one? The, huh? Forbearance and patience. So the first one was intelligence and forbearance. No, no sir. Intelligence and farsightedness. Number two was? His forbearance in times of difficulty. And number three? No ulterior motives. Yeah, no ulterior motive, simplicity. That's what Rasulullah was a simple person. Al Khaslatul Rabia, the fourth one. Tawadu'uhu lin nasi wa hum atba. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a humble person. So the previous one, his simplicity, this one, he was humble. He didn't carry himself in an arrogant way. As a teacher, you may choose to do that. That you're just constantly flexing. I'm this intelligent, I read this and I do that and I do this and I do that. Too much flexing isn't good. Being humble is important. That I won't come to your home unless there is biryani there. That's not good. Tawadu'u That you are humble in front of people. When Nabi sallallahu was invited to someone's home, he went. He would sit on the ground, he would eat what was presented. There was no posh or extravagant elegance that accompanied who he was. Even though in reality the companions were his followers. So if anyone did want to establish dominance or a little bit of flexing, you would do it to those who are your followers, right? But no, Rasulullah was hadir to them. He was present. He was available to them. Even though he would lower himself in humbleness, even though he was the one that was to be followed. He was muta'. They were muti'. They were the ones that are following. He was the one that was followed. Yet he was humble in front of them. So as a parent, you can either choose to flex or as a teacher, or you can just humble yourself and understand that you can get what you want through different paths. Don't always search for the shortest one. Look for the most effective one. The more effective one usually is longer. It takes more time, more conversations, less shouting, less screaming. But you get greater results from there. Shouting, screaming, quick results. Right away they'll stand up, stiff and firm. However, that obedience is a result of fear and they will phase out of that. 
your dominance will dwindle. يمشي في الأسواق يجلس على التراب يمتزل بأصحابه وجلسائه Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was one of the people. You found him in the markets. You don't find the leaders of the world walking around in Walmart. Just the thought of a king walking in Walmart would make some of us laugh. Like, imagine that. Imagine Warren Buffett at McDonald's, which he does go to, by the way, weirdly enough. Maybe that's a little tawadu out there. Um, he, he's a McDonald's guy, right? Yeah, he, 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 he's always professed his love for McDonald's. But anyway, so, you know, usually you don't expect that, though. That's like a, it's not a normal thing. You don't expect someone of, you know, of, of high status and rank to be just where the peasants are. With Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that wasn't the case. In reality, that was a part of his humbleness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that he, But when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in the market, this is interesting. He was in the market where people were. He would go there for shopping and interacting and so on. Just as other people would go. But he didn't become one of them in the market. What I mean by that is people in the market were generally very rough, harsh language, very loud, shouting and taking oaths that were not, that were not substantiated and they would use foul language. So Rasulullah no matter where he was, he maintained his dignity. His taqwa was there with him. His dhikr was there with him. Therefore we have that riwayah in Tirmidhi where Rasulullah says that when a person goes to the market and reads the following duha, Allah will give them a thousand thousand hasanat. Thousand thousand six zeros, that's a million right there. What is the dua? La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamd yuhi wa yumeet, wa huwa hayyun la yamut biyadihi al-khayr, wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. A beautiful dua to read specifically if you're doing some online shopping. Right? Get, some, get some reward. You're in the, you're in the markets, why not uh, benefit from it? So yamshi fil aswaq, yajlisu ala turab. It's not as if Rasulullah would only sit if a throne was placed or if there was a fancy cushion or some you know, elegant chair. Yamshi ala, yajlis ala turab. Rasulullah would take a seat on the soil uh, you know, when the moment presented itself. We all know in Majd al-Nabwi, there was no carpet there. They would do sajda on the soil. Therefore, the Sahabi asked, O oh, Messenger of Allah, when I do sajda, sometimes the sharp stones poke me in my forehead, so can I move them? You guys know that narration? Can I move the stones? So Nabi Wasallam said, move them once but not twice. Therefore, the jurists deduce from here that simple and basic calm movements in salah will not invalidate the prayer. Excessive movements will invalidate the prayer, what we call khafi and jari sort of stuff, you know? So from here as well, we learn the simplicity of Rasulullah If a person were to walk inside the house of the Prophet of Allah and just take a look at the furniture, there are people that have actually created mock-ups based off of the narrations of what the house of the Prophet actually looked like in terms of furniture, bedding, dimensions, and so on. Have you guys ever seen it? It's beautiful. I was once in Medina Munawwara, and they had actually a built-out model in the museum. And when I saw it, when I saw it, tears came out. Because I'm not kidding you, you know, I, I felt like my garage is more elegant. Uh, elegant's not the right word. 
I felt like my garage was more luxurious. That was 100% more elegant. That simplicity was more elegant. But I felt like there was more luxury in my garage. We have more luxury in our toilets, in our closets. But there was such simplicity. If you search online, you might see an image of this, what the house of Rasulullah looked like. So when Nabi was with them, he was mixed into them. They were all together. It's not like he walked on one side of the road and they walked on the other side, or he was sitting on a platform while they were carrying him. He was just mixed into them. So the only way you would know who Rasulullah was, he mixed into people in such beauty, the way you would know him was that his humility was more than the others. And his modesty. So what made him unique wasn't a ring or a crown, it was his humility that made him unique. And it was that humbleness that gave him honor. And lowering yourself. وَلَقَدْ دَخَلَ عَلَيْهِ بَعْضُ الْأَعْرَابِ فَارْتَعَ مِنْ حَيْبَتِهِ فَقَالَ لَهُ خَفِّضَ عَلَيْكَ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بْنُ إِمْرَأَةٍ كَانَتْ تَأْكُلُ الْقَدِيدَ بِمَكَّةَ So once a Bedouin came to visit Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and when he saw Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he was struck by awe. In that moment he was caught off guard of the greatness of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We talked about the Ra'ab earlier in our previous class. So when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saw him, if I may say, starstruck. What did he say? Relax. It's okay. Take it easy. Take it easy on yourself. Second, calm down. And then to make it easier for him, because this guy's looking at the Nabi of Allah. I mean, his reaction was very appropriate. Very appropriate. I mean, imagine you're standing in front of the greatest of all mankind, the most beloved to Allah. I mean, the average human being would fall unconscious. Their knees would buckle and they'd fall on their face. And the greatness of the person they were standing in front of. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam jumps in to rescue him from himself. That guy is going to fold on himself, so he's, Nabi Sallallahu comes in to rescue him. So he says, خَفِّدْ عَلَيْكَ It's okay. إِنَّمَا أَنَا إِبْنُ إِمْرَأَةٍ كَانَتْ تَأْكُرُ الْقَدِيدَ بِمَكَّةً I am the son of a lady who would eat dried meat in Makkah Mukarramah. You're the son of a lady, I am a son of a lady. We're both children of women, right? Now, one thing Allah Maqastalani points out here is that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, Inama uh, 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 he says, he points out here that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam specifically said, I am the son of my mother or of a lady and not that of a man, even though they are both truthful statements. 
Why is it that Rasulullah emphasized this and not that? He said this to help that guy calm down even more. Because, you know, in Arabs, they would invoke their father's names to, um, to, to establish superiority. So Nabi Wasallam didn't go that route because his family was a prestigious family. He was from Quraysh. So Rasulullah avoided that. Rather in return, he said, I am a, the, the son of a simple lady, right? Some scholars also say that reason why he said his mother is because he only lived under his mother. His father had passed away. So he witnessed his mother's simplicity and her humbleness. And therefore, the rest of the statement, Qadid refers to um, dried meat like jerky. This is something that generally poor people eat. And the reason is because they don't have access to fresh meat around the clock. So when they slaughter an animal, they dry the meat, salt it up, spice it, and then they slowly eat it uh, over the year or whenever is necessary. These days, beef jerky is a, it's a snack. You pick it up and eat it. I went to Detroit this last weekend and I was at a gas station and they had halal beef jerky at the gas station. Detroit is in its own world, man. They're in their own world. They had like halal everything there. There was a, there was a fridge the guy had, a small fridge with ready to go mini car cup hookahs. I'd never seen this before. It was literally like, you know those big, big gulp cups you get? You seen those big 7-Eleven cups? It was one of those and he basically jimmied the whole thing and made a whole contraption out of it. And it was sitting in the... You know what I'm talking about, Halima? I'm not going to say anything else. Alhamdulillah, your voice did not get caught on the mic. She's, you got family in Detroit, right? No? Okay. When I saw that, I thought to myself, what is going on here? Right? It was uh, fascinating. Nonetheless, okay, where were we? So he says, Anam Imra'atin kana ta'kurul qadida yumakata. So Allah maqastalani rahmatullahi alayhi. He says that, Innama ana ibn Imra'atin miskinatin ta'kurul mafgurul akal. Therefore, it's as if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, my mother used to eat inferior food. So why are you afraid of me? We're all the same. The wadu'uhu, the humbleness of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَهَذَا مِنْ شَرَفِ أَخْلَاقِهِ وَكَرِيمِ شِيَمِهِ فَهِيَ غَزِيرَةٌ فُتِرَ عَلَيْهَا وَجِبِلَّةٌ طُبِعَ بِهَا لَمْ تَنْدُرْ فَتُعَدْ وَلَمْ تُحْصَرْ فَتُحَدْ Beautiful. So he says the character of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was abundantly present in his life and he was almost built on this fabric. It's not as if, he said, لَمْ تَنْدُرْ فَتُعَدْ It's not as if, Tandur is nadir. It's not as if Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's character was rare. Lam Tandur, it wasn't ra- rare that he had moments of good character. Fatu'ad, so a person can start counting them that, oh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam smiled five times. Or he was generous three times. Like some of some friends may say, you know, tell us about this person's generosity. And they'll say, yeah, he bought me pizza once. Nadir, fatu'ad. 
So he says, Lam Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's generosity could not be encountered because you couldn't count it. Why? It could be encountered. You couldn't count it. Why is that? Because it wasn't rare. It was abundant. So with that, he closes off this uh, beautiful uh, fourth characteristic here. We'll end our class here, inshallah. Uh, the fifth and sixth point are a little longer. So we'll continue them in our next session. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us tawfiq and to embody the amazing character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he blesses us with his farsightedness, that he blesses us with firmness, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with simplicity, that he blesses us with humbleness, so that when we interact with people, they are also inspired by our presence. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Muhammad. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa